You're listening to the Baby Your Baby podcast with me, Jade Elliott, where we talk all things pregnancy, children, and parenting. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. Baby Your Baby is a KUTV 2 News podcast and is sponsored by Intermountain Healthcare, Broadway Media, and the Utah Department of Health. You are listening to the Baby Your Baby podcast with myself, Jade Elliott, and today I'm joined by Dr. Ware Branch, a maternal fetal medicine physician, predominantly uh, with high-risk pregnancies. That's where you specialize. You're with the University of Utah Health. Thanks for being with us. Right. I work at the University of Utah Health and Intermountain Healthcare. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're talking about um, a topic that can be hard for people, but also a topic that I feel like as a, as a mom and as a woman also needs to be talked about. Uh, and that's miscarriage. Right. Um, let's kind of get into it uh, for our listeners and just kind of break everything down for us. What is a miscarriage? Uh, so sort of the classical definition of a miscarriage is a pregnancy that's lost um, before 20 weeks gestation. That remains like a World Health Organization definition of miscarriage. And talk to us about some of the symptoms and, and what women might be going through or seeing. Well, I, a typical miscarriage is um, the loss of a pregnancy prior to 10 or 12 weeks from the last menstrual period. And a, a woman who uh, has symptoms of a miscarriage typically has uh, uterine bleeding, vaginal bleeding, and cramping. Um, not in, eventually she'll pass some tissue, the miscarriage tissue itself, and that can be a pretty scary mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. painful experience. When a woman goes through a miscarriage, does she always know that it's happening? No, I don't think she always knows that it's happening uh, until those symptoms that we've just talked about appear. As it turns out, most pregnancies that are going to be lost in the first part of human gestation fail inside the uterus before the clinical symptoms appear. So the embryo, for example, might pass away at seven or eight weeks, and a week or two or three later, the the patient has the onset of symptoms. Now, in modern times, because so many people get early ultrasounds, Mm -hmm. the failure of the pregnancy to proceed may be discovered before the clinical symptoms of classical miscarriage occur. Mm Yeah. And as we were kind of talking about before, you are saying that there are kind of two different cases when it comes to the women and families that you deal with when it comes to miscarriage. Um, There are women that have a miscarriage, Uh and you kind of talk them through what that is and and what the next steps are. And then there's also uh, women and couples who go through multiple miscarriages. Um, kind of talk to us about the, the differences in those cases and okay. and what that's like. So uh, sp- sporadic, the occasional miscarriage, is a pretty common reproductive outcome. Um, human reproduction is not all that efficient, so such that uh, by way of background, probably about 30 to 40 percent of all pregnancies fail to make it to successful live birth. So that's a big number. Mm-hmm. Most of the losses um, occur very, very early after conception and may not be acknowledged by the patient as a pregnancy. They Mm -hmm. may have 
you know, maybe they have a few mild symptoms, but they, the pregnancy fails such that at about the time of the expected next menses, there is an expected next menses. Mm -hmm. But there was a conception. And then there are pregnancies that develop beyond the expected next menses and are recognized as a pregnancy by the patient and the family. And that, that's kind of the classical miscarriage case. The mm -hmm. patient is pregnant, thinks she's pregnant, has a positive pregnancy test, and then has a, a pregnancy loss. Mm -hmm. a, a good 25, 35% of women will have a miscarriage along the way to having a family. So mm -hmm. it's a pretty common reproductive event. Yeah, and I think that's important for our yeah, listeners right. to know, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, that they're not alone if they've gone no. through one or two or, or more. Correct. There are hundreds of thousands of women. Hundreds of thousands. That go through it yeah. all the time. Yeah. There are patients then who come in to see us because they've had two or three losses. Uh-huh typically, two or three losses, often consecutive losses, and they're very concerned about their reproductive future. Right. So the couple will come talk to us about um, that recurrent miscarriage situation. That also is pretty common in the population of reproductive age couples. Probably about one in 100 to one in 300 couples will have two or three miscarriages for which they seek medical Mm -hmm. Advice, and uh, that's the again that's the recurrent miscarriage population. When we talk about the causes of miscarriage, uh -huh. I, I know right off the bat a lot of women when they go through miscarriage, they automatically think that they've done something wrong, and that it's right. their fault, yeah. and they could have prevented it or they could have done something differently. Right. And that's not always necessarily the case. Uh, I think it's, for all practical purposes, never the case. Mm -hmm. um, Sporadic miscarriage and recurrent miscarriage um, doesn't occur, as far as we know, for reasons of uh, overactivity, uh, taking Tylenol, having sex, um, training for a marathon. Mm -hmm. None of those things cause, cause sporadic or recurrent miscarriage, as best we know. Right. People often ask about stress, and I think even stress is a, is a, a very small small factor in the tendency to have miscarriages. Mm -hmm. so. so what could be some of the causes? Ah. Well, it turns out that um, sporadic early miscarriage, uh, again, those miscarriages that occur before 10 or 12 weeks um, from the last menstrual period, um, most commonly is due to a chromosome abnormality that occurs um, really early on and is present at the time of conception. Mm -hmm. And so from the very beginning of the pregnancy, you see um, the situation is, is not good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's probably 50, 60 percent of all miscarriages, sporadic miscarriages. The population of, of uh, people that have recurrent miscarriages probably um, are less likely to have a chromosomally abnormal conception lost, uh, as if there are other factors in right. that population that contribute to the tendency to miscarry. I am no doctor. I will state that from the I, very beginning. We can beginning, get you to course, work right? tonight all night if you want to. <laughs> do you I want are, to stay up all night? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I go to work at 2.30 in the morning. That's basically yeah, right, what I'm okay, saying. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, 
But I always think too, because like we were saying, mm -hmm. you know, right off the bat, when a woman miscarries, mm -hmm. she thinks it's her. She thinks it's her fault. She no. thinks she's done something wrong, and and that's not the case. No. And I just, without being a doctor, without being mm -hmm. technical myself, but being a woman, being a mother, um, having friends and family who've oh. gone through miscarriages right. before, you know, I just feel like it's something. Uh, it's just like a sign from your body. You know, telling you that, that maybe your body wasn't ready to carry this baby and and have the stress on your body and and be prepared enough. I think the evidence supporting the notion that a woman well into her reproductive age range, um, the notion that a woman well into her reproductive age range has a miscarriage because her body is not ready is perhaps somewhat true, but it's very difficult to identify sure. in a contributory or attributable fashion, I should say. Right. Um, we do know that, that miscarriages are probably a bit more likely per pregnancy attempt in very young women, and certainly in older women. Mm -hmm. In the older women, um, it's most commonly said that the, the cadre of uh, of eggs left in the ovary are less are less high quality. Mm -hmm. That sounds a little, perhaps not a good way to say it, but you get yeah. my point. Right. So that a woman who's 37, 38, or 39 per pregnancy attempt is quite a bit more likely to have a miscarriage than a woman who's 25. Mm -hmm. Other factors that probably pay, play a role and relate to your question, underweight women probably are a little more likely to miscarry per pregnancy attempt, and of course it depends upon the degree. Sure. And uh, obese women are a little more likely to miscarry, it would appear. I think that mm -hmm. that science is a bit soft as yet, but people are working on it. Mm -hmm. As if nature intends for you to be in a pretty good spot when you take on a pregnancy. Sure. Yeah. And so, say we've gotten to that point where um, you know, I, I believe I'm going through a miscarriage. Yeah. Something is happening. Um, what do I need to do? How, how is it treated? How is it taken care of? Um, that's a great question. So certainly in days gone by, up until the 1940s and the 1950s, if somebody had a miscarriage, um, they would have a miscarriage on their own and pass the tissue um, from the contracting uterus and... Uh, typically get over it in mm -hmm. the course of a, a day or two or three. Uh, rarely, or I should say infrequently, uh, women would suffer a complication of a miscarriage, the potentially dangerous complication of a miscarriage. Now in modern times when people begin to develop symptoms of miscarriage, they, they often seek medical advice and they may go to an emergency room or perhaps to go see their, their care provider in the office. Mm -hmm. And there's some things that can be done to facilitate evacuation of the uterus using medications or surgical tools. Right. Patients can also be advised, if they're relatively early, that we could do nothing because forever that's the way it's worked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it does, it, does it kind of depend in regards to the treatment um, with how far along yes. the mother may be? It does. It depends quite a bit so that... In, in the subset of patients that have losses of, uh, 
a fetus that has grown to 10 or 11 or 12 week size, those are more concerning for complications of miscarriage, including excessive bleeding or, mm -hmm. or infection. And those cases are best managed by, uh, you know, medical by healthcare folk, providers. By healthcare somewhere. providers, mm -hmm. yeah. And so, of course, a big question that always yeah. comes after a woman has a miscarriage or multiple. Right. Can I get pregnant? And that's a loaded right. question. I mean, there's multiple right. multiple facets to it. Well, um, and I think I think the usual question is. When can I get pregnant again? Mm -hmm. Because m most often, uh, I, can't, I can't put a percentage to it, but very often the patient wanted to have a pregnancy, has now had a miscarriage, and wants to get on with having a pregnancy. Right. And the, and the um, answer is that a patient can try to achieve another pregnancy relatively quickly. There is no magical timing. Um, I think historically... Well, it's all magical timing, actually. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> but historically, um, care providers and textbooks would say something like, wait three months, three sure. cycles. You know, mm -hmm. there, there's no science to that. Yeah. That's different than having a pregnancy that goes out to, to deliver perhaps prematurely or at term. One should wait a goodly period of time before having another pregnancy right. such that that pregnancy has better outcomes. Yes. But after a miscarriage, it probably makes very little difference as to when one becomes pregnant again. Again? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to miscarriages, is there mm -hmm. anything that can be done to try to prevent them? Well, if, if a couple comes to see us with recurrent miscarriage, we, we do a standard evaluation for known or suspected reasons. Uh, we touched on chromosomal, ab chromosomal abnormalities mm -hmm. in the conceptus as a cause of sporadic miscarriage. And I mentioned that those are probably somewhat less likely to be the cause of, of recurrent miscarriage. So using professional guidelines from the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and the European Society, mm -hmm. um, we complete a standard workup looking for these known or suspected causes. We usually don't find a dominant single problem that needs to be treated or addressed in a surgical fashion. Occasionally we do, but usually not. Um, and I and other people who think about miscarriages and write about miscarriages say things like it's probably multifactorial, mm -hmm. which makes it like almost all medical problems. Right. You know, I usually use the analogy of if I go to the emergency room this weekend with a heart attack, there's no really knowledgeable person in the room who's wondering, I wonder what one thing caused that guy's heart attack. The pinpoint. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Because it could be my family history, it could be my blood pressure, it could be my activity level, it could be my weight, it could be, it goes on and on and mm -hmm. on and on. And I think recurrent early miscarriages are very likely multifactorial in that sense. I try to reassure couples about a favorable prognosis when no single dominant reason is found. And in the prognosis, the likelihood of successful future pregnancy is actually quite good, um, especially among people that are under 40 years of age. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think it's an encouraging reality that people need to hear. Yeah. You might guess by what I've just said that 
known beneficial treatments are non-existent, and that is actually the truth. Mm -hmm. um, unless they, the patient has one of the single dominant things which are infrequently found. And that you can try to factor That you, can, you mm -hmm. can work on. Mm -hmm. But for most couples, there's no magical treatment, including the use of progesterone or low-dose aspirin or heparin compounds, things that they can Google, sure. but for which there's no evidence of benefit. Right. Yeah. So. Anything else you want you want families or or women or couples to know when it comes to miscarriage and and what they should what they should know or what they should expect. The people that have fetal death. So, uh, in in we've written, we're going to call them a fetus at ten weeks. Mm -hmm. yeah, you could call it something else, but you got to have a nomenclature. Sure. So we're going to call it a fetus at ten weeks. The people that have fetal losses between 10 weeks and 20 weeks. That's a unique subset of patients. Well, a lot of people don't even know they're pregnant until then or even Well, most, most people in modern times know they're pregnant pretty early, pretty early, I would argue. Um, I, I think never, if you pay attention to yeah, it. If you're, pay, if you yeah, pay, right, if you're right. paying attention yeah, to yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, but most everybody knows they're pregnant if they're 12 weeks along right. or 14 weeks right. along or 15 weeks along. And they've mostly been to the doctor already and so on. If the baby dies in the uterus at 11 weeks, 12 weeks, 13, 14 weeks, um, that's a subset of people we see. Uh, that's a pretty different population. And um, occasionally you'll see a reason for why the fetus has passed away in the uterus. Um, you might see that there are there are structural malformations consistent with a chromosome abnormality, for example, mm -hmm. and the fetus has passed away. Or you might see a major structural malformation that isn't typically associated with a chromosome abnormality but is recognized by people who do this for a living. Um, but there's also a goodly proportion of people who have an intrauterine fetal demise at, let's say, 14 weeks. And you, can't, you don't see anything wrong you do an evaluation, you can't figure out anything uh, as a single dominant cause. Mm -hmm. Those people have a recurrence rate of 50% every pregnancy. So it's a very different population, and they need to see us and talk about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. We've done some work in looking for subtle genetic abnormalities in that population of uh, fetal losses, and I think that's an emerging field. We'll have to be chasing that down in the future. That's a very interesting subset. Yeah, it is. And they sort of blend into what eventually becomes stillbirth, mm -hmm. right? And we're, our team here in Utah is well known in the, in the realm of stillbirth research, as you probably know or you will know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. having to do these things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, they have these, you then have these subsets, the relatively early miscarriages, the common ones, the subset of patients that have intrauterine fetal death at 10 weeks to 20 weeks. And then after 20 weeks, you tend to call it a stillbirth, you see. There and, you go. And, and with the stillbirth, do you find um, more of a, a similar reoccurring issue that's happening? No, so that's, that's what fascinates me about this. I'm doing a couple research projects on this right now. Um, one of my colleagues is very interested in stillbirth. I have a couple of colleagues who are interested in stillbirth at or beyond 20 weeks. And they, they're world-class investigators in this realm. Uh, 
And so if a woman has an intrauterine death at, let's say, 25 weeks, I mean, it's an awful tragedy. Horrible. Terrible. They have one at 39 weeks. It's just, oh, my God. I can't even imagine. They, they're, very, they're not very likely to have it repeat if you can't find something wrong. Okay. And that, that's interesting. 14 weeks, I'm telling you, it's trouble. Uh-huh. Now, I've taken care of patients who've had, you know, come to see me with a couple of 14, 15-week de- intrauterine deaths, and uh, we talked. And I said, you know, you've got to decide what you're going to do because I can't find anything wrong, and I think the recurrence rate is pretty high. Mm-hmm. And I'll follow them until they have their family size, and along the way they'll have another couple of 14, 15-week deaths. I even had one lady who got pregnant uh, with di- non-identical dizygotic twins, non-identical twins, history of a couple live births, history of a couple of fetal deaths at 14, 15 weeks, non-identical twins, one baby died at 15 weeks and the other went to term. Really? Yeah. So there's and something... for no rhyme or reason. Well, that I know about. We're working right, on Right, right, <laughs> we're working exactly. On, yeah, right. yeah, we're working and on that. And that's the fascinating side yeah. of it. Yeah. So... I'm trying to distinguish these subsets of pregnancy loss. Mm-hmm. Um, the early loss is before basically 10 weeks, even if the patient doesn't miscarry until 12 or 13. Sure. And then the early or the mid-trimester fetal deaths at 10 weeks to 20 weeks, and then the stillbirths. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, one organized way to think about pregnancy loss. and. It pertains to what we tell patients, as I've just explained, mm-hmm. and also pertains to what we do in the research realm. I disagree with the notion that the CDC and the World Health Organization think that thinks that miscarriages are pregnancy losses before 20 weeks. They're different. Right. And we need to be working on that so we can help people. Right, exactly. Because yeah. that really is what it's all about, is right. mm-hmm. helping them, helping, right. helping these couples. Right. Oftentimes, for recurrent pregnancy loss patients or fetal death patients, uh, our most most important role currently is to discuss the realities with them and talk to them about how they're likely to do going forward. And that's a really big deal. And so... uh, you're trying to set the stage in realistic terms and help the couple decide how they're going to approach their reproductive futures. So. Mm-hmm. In, in the United States, in large metropolitan areas, there are usually a couple of three centers that do pregnancy loss. Mm-hmm. And not infrequently, they try to set themselves up as having special insights, special tests, and by the way, they usually own the lab, mm-hmm. and, uh, and special treatments. So. If you were to go to um, centers in Chicago, L.A., or New York, you, you know you could be brought into a nice office with a nice fish tank and and, and be sort find of, your way, kind of getting going down the spiral. You, well, I mean, you you'd be going down a pathway to uh-huh. be sure. And and I think for couples that are frustrated and anxious, there's something to be said for that game. That right. rabbit hole. Right. They um, want to think that they've yeah. done everything and they've right. had all the tests and they've exactly. talked to everyone that they could. Right. And they've talked to these special experts right. who happen to have a nice and expensive office space and blah, 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 blah. You know, mm-hmm. you can imagine how this goes. Yeah. And so um, 
I, I've written about this uh, for professional organizations and for um, textbooks, and I decry that sort of thing because it's not evidence-based mainstream medicine. It's not the whole truth and nothing but the truth, mm -hmm. you know. And there's a, there's a, you know monetary gain in the background. So, sure. I would advise people to be careful about that. Uh, and to go in with their eyes wide open. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which I know for yeah. for women and couples who have gone through mm -hmm. probably multiple miscarriages can be hard. Very hard, I think, for some couples. Be very hard yeah, right. because yeah. they're yeah. already thinking, you know, what's got to give here? There's got to be something wrong. Can someone right. please find something wrong right. so that we can fix it? Right. And uh, they tend to take the view that uh, some couples tend to take the view, I should say it that way, some couples tend to take the view that I just haven't gone to the person that has the, the best knowledge. Right, or, ha or that has the right answer for me. Yeah, right, exactly. And so um, um, there's a game afoot, and I just mm -hmm. would argue for being careful. Right, Yeah. because as much as uh -huh. you may want to have someone tell you exactly what you want to hear, right. that might not be the, the right answer for you. Correct. Yeah. Correct, yeah. So that's the deal. All right, I appreciate that. Uh, thank you so much for just kind of walking us through. Right. How it, how it all works and, and the differences um, and the education behind some of it. I really appreciate it and, right. and breaking it down. So, uh, Dr. Branch, thank you once again for being with us. Absolutely. Um, we appreciate it. Thanks your for time. having me on. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much. And that concludes um, today's Baby Your Baby podcast with myself, Jade Elliott, talking about a tough conversation, but a conversation that needs to be talked about, and that is dealing with miscarriage. joining me, Jade Elliott, and our guest for this week's Baby Your Baby podcast. If you have a topic that you'd like our Baby Your Baby experts to discuss, leave us a comment and don't forget to subscribe. Baby Your Baby is a KUTV2 news podcast and is sponsored by Intermountain Healthcare, Broadway Media, and the Utah Department of Health.